This is Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm an entrepreneur who's passionate about all things business. As a trained economist with consulting background, currently working to educate business professionals in a college setting, I constantly gather information, advise my clients, teach students, and train people with the best practices. In this podcast, I will provide intelligence in business management, economic and data analysis, digital marketing, and international business strategy. Let me help you navigate the complexity in this challenging and dynamic business world. This is Business Intelligence Podcast. And I am Dr. Wei Chun Wang. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm here with my partner Joey Degangji. We prepare a very interesting topic today that we would like to discuss with you.、Uh, that is international business. Um, I think you know, in the past, especially a couple of years,、um, people have been、uh, talking about how the international supply chain has been reorganized for a lot of businesses, and、uh, we particularly believe that this is the topic that that should be of everybody's interest. Yeah, and depending on your background, you may or may not have given a whole lot of thought to international business、uh, in, the, in the past couple of years. But I think one thing that you know, certainly COVID is showing us, and some of the other situations going on in the world right now,、um, really at this point. It's to everybody's benefit, even if you're a, a small startup or a, a full-scale international enterprise. Everybody benefits from just being aware and understanding what else is going on in the world,、uh, so you can understand a little bit of how that impacts you directly or could impact you down the road. Everything has ramifications, so just being able to have that on your radar gives you a huge leg up.、Uh, I, I wanted to remind everybody that since the late '70s and early '80s, that、uh, the role that U.S. plays in the international economy. Actually, helps shaped not only the U.S. economy but also, also international economy.、Uh, for a starter,、um, you know you should know that in the starting in early '80s,、um, the amount of import and export、uh, that accounts for the U.S. GDP has always been in the、uh, around seventy percent. So seventy percent of the U.S. GDP was actually or has been actually from、uh, import net export. All right. So U.S. has always been on the buying side of things,、um, and、uh, you know the rise in China uh, in the uh, late '80s because China had the economic reform in 1978, and it wasn't until 1988 that China started really playing a very significant role、um, in the world economy by offering the uh, uh, resources to help. Manufacture、uh, some of the products that you and I use、uh, on a daily basis. Like you go to Walmart and Target, it's hard to believe that you would be able to buy things,、um, you know, just made in the United States. Most likely, the things、um, that are being sold on、um, on the shelves of Walmart and Target、uh, were actually manufactured in China. But、um, I think since、um, three three and a half years ago,、uh, this has drastically changed because a lot of the U.S. businesses that have operations in In China, they are rethinking whether or not they should keep their manufacturing、uh, activities there,、um, and and what follows is a series of disruption in the supply chain,、um, and and obviously that disruption got extremely magnified by the COVID pandemic. 
what are some of the different things that you think? Uh, I know you said that a lot of U.S. businesses are starting to rethink some of the, uh, you know, their their like their manufacturing process with China. What are some of the, like the main things that you that you talked about with clients that that impact that? So for for starter, um, you know, the the tariff, right? So there mm-hmm. is um, there is a potential uncertainty of how U.S. wants to reshape its trade, trade relationship trading relationship with China. And a lot of the businesses uh, believe that that's the risk that they don't want to take. Right. Uh, and I think uh, the, uh, you know, the current administration is pushing all the U.S. businesses out of China because of the political pressure that um, uh, U.S. wants to impose uh, on China. Um, and, and some of the businesses that I talk to, so for, for, for example, um, the, uh, I, I have been uh, in conversation with this one uh, company that manufactures uh, plastic utensils. Um, mm. They are the supplier of, um, uh, you know, Wendy's and Subway, like the plastic utensils uh, are actually manufactured by them. Um, and they are a Chinese company that also has an operation in Pennsylvania. Um, and so years ago, they, they started moving some of the operations um, to uh, Pennsylvania while, you know, keeping most of the manufacturing function uh, in China. Um, and, and thank goodness that they did that years ago, because n- now they have at least a facility that they could move operations uh, to from China. But years ago, when they made that move, um, they made the decision purely based on the transportation cost, right? Um, you know, they, they, wanted to make, they wanted to make sure that they have a easier access to the buyers in the North American market. Uh, that's mm-hmm. why they moved the operations. But nowadays, it's, things are drastically different. So right. for those that remain in China, they would have no choice but to move because the added tariff uh, and the added uncertainty in doing business in China is not justifiable. Um, so they are considering all these different locations um, in neighboring countries of mm-hmm. China. So where are some of the main countries that you've seen the, the, those opportunities going toward. Yeah, and I think this is something that people should should understand, right? I mean, you, yeah. you take a look at China, right? 30 years ago, China was drastically different from the China that you see today. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that, um, you know, when 30 years ago, when the uh, American companies first entered China, they picked coastal cities, right? So they they right. built their manufacturing facilities around the coastal areas. But nowadays, you go to the coastal areas, you can't afford to buy mm-hmm. even real estate in the coastal areas. I mean, you talk, take a look at, uh, for example, the coastal cities like Shanghai or Guangzhou or Shenzhen, mm-hmm. you can't afford it, right? And most of the workers, they have um, you know, an increased rate in wages. Availability of workers uh, would not be in the coastal areas. You have to go to inland to find mm-hmm. the labor force needed. The landscape is, is changed, but comparatively, yeah. I think the labor rate the wage rate is still a lot lower in China compared to the United States. Having said that, in between, you see a lot of neighboring countries of China, including Vietnam and Indonesia, they're catching up. Right, uh, yeah. They're catching up. So they're, they're, they're participating in the international supply chain, and they now become uh, kind of like the preferred locations for a lot of international businesses. Um, and and a, especially in this latest wave of uh, businesses moving out of China, um, you see a lot of businesses identifying locations in Vietnam and in Indonesia. A fun fact, a couple of years ago, I visited um, uh, Surabaya, Indonesia. It's not the largest city. I think Surabaya is the second largest city in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was be- able, I was able to visit um, some universities there. Um, 
you know, and, and I, I was able to talk to the students. It's interesting to see that most of the students there, obviously they speak Indonesian, but they concurrently are learning English and Chinese. Mm. All right. So oh, they wow. identify these two languages to be, you know, kind of like in Tran and they, they yeah. wanted to be, be able to, uh, you know, position themselves to be able to work for either American, uh, an American business or a Chinese business down the road. Um, so, so that's what's happening right now. And I, I see a tremendous um, uh, potential in, Indone- in countries like Indonesia and Vietnam. Uh, number one, um, they're, they're, their countries are upcoming. So you see the economy is mm-hmm. doing very well. I mean, so politically it's rather stable. Mm-hmm. Number two, they have a pretty young population. So in analyzing the labor force, you wanna focus on uh, people uh, aged between uh, 16 years old to 65 years old. That's what we call kind of like the demographic premium. Okay. And if you study that segment, you would realize that uh, China's pop- Chinese population is aging pretty rapidly, mm. uh, whereas uh, the population in Vietnam and, and, and Indonesia, they are much younger. Um, and all they need to do is, you know, if they have better infrastructure, if they have, you know, uh, uh, greater investment opportunities, they're going to catch up uh, in no time. I think, you know, what, what people are missing here is that when we analyze international business, we only look at labor costs. Understandably so, right? So if you look right. at the labor cost here in the United States, you look at the federal minimum wage rate, that's seven twenty-five. Mm-hmm. It's too expensive. So people often argue that, oh, because of the high labor cost, that U.S. is not a good destination for manufacturing uh, activities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's yes and no. Um, I think back in uh, around 2010, 2011, there was a urge actually are calling the American businesses to return to the United States. And I think uh, the then President Obama uh, actually had an initiative called Manufacturing 2.0. And he argued that, yeah, despite the higher labor cost, if we could uh, introduce automation, right, we could significantly bring down um, the labor cost uh, because, you know, the businesses might not need to hire as many people as right. they need. Um, and, and coupling with the robotics technology, we might be able to, you know, uh, really be competitive in the manufacturing business. So some businesses actually responded to that. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, you know, you have to understand in determining the location of your uh, business activities, you are analyzing it from a comprehensive perspective, right? You don't just look at the labor cost. There's also tax issues. There's also infrastructure. There's also, um, you know, uh, access to resources. There's right. also access to the markets. Um, and let alone, if you uh, want to invest in any business, you want the political uh, situation to be stable, you want the um, monetary policy as well as the value of the currency to be stable. So all these things that you need to consider. Um, and most of the business owners, they just look at the cost of doing business from you know, a very, nar- very narrow perspective. Yeah, so with the scenario that you were just talking about with uh, the manufacturing 2.0, it sounds like a lot of those different elements that you would analyze would lend themselves better to the United States manufacturing operation if you can bring down the, the relative labor costs through automation. So what are the costs of doing business is yeah. the question that, that people should ask, right? So the cost of yeah. doing business, uh, you know, right off the bat, you, you're looking at, for example, the hourly compensation cost mm-hmm. and the cost, for example, and the cost to acquire 
real estate because you need to build uh, plants and uh, you know infrastructure. What about the cost of utility? What about the corporate tax rate? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the interest rate, um, and which is related to um, you know how easy the access would be for capital, right? Right. Those are kind of like the main and primary cost of doing business. And in the past uh, two years, I think in 2018, we had a tax reform that mm-hmm. significantly um, you know brought down uh, the tax burden for businesses to consider you know coming back to the United States and and conduct a business. Um, and, and that actually helped a lot. Uh, but yeah. if you look at the United States, traditionally, we pride ourselves with the quality of labor. If you look at the empirical evidence, uh, research has indicated, I mean, some researchers utilized the 1940 data. Uh, and what they found was that uh, most of the products made by the United States at the time uh, were labor intensive, which is against intuition, right? Because right. you always thought that, you know, U.S., uh, should have the uh, comparative advantage in capital intensive products. Mm-hmm. And how come, like if you look at the empirical data, uh, you only find uh, US exporting labor intensive products. That's against the intuition. Then yeah. the researchers dig deeper and they realize that, yeah, the labor intensive products are um, the uh, selling point of the United States because we should also consider human capital as part of the labor cost. Mm. So human capital should be labeled and characterized as part of the capital, as part of the capital comparative advantage that U.S. has. Um, So the labor, the the quality of labor um, is really the selling point uh, in the United States. Now, uh, aside from the United States, you take a look at India and and China. Mm -hmm. um, And and some would argue that the economic growth rate in China had outpaced uh, the economic growth rate of India. Um, and um, by looking at the data, and if you, again, dig deeper, you realize that, you know, part of the economic growth of China or the higher economic growth rate in China was attributable to the higher quality of labor. Some researcher, again, uh, did a very interesting study to understand, for example, the literacy rate mm-hmm. of China. It turns out the literacy rate in China is much higher than in India. And the way that they define literacy rate in China mm-hmm. is that you got to be able to recognize, I think, is anywhere between 200 to, to 1,000 char- Chinese characters. Wow. But the definition of literacy rate in India is drastically different. The definition yeah. of literacy rate in India is whether or not you could use any language to write your name. That's a that's mm-hmm. a very big difference, right? Yeah. Which yeah. marks... That's the importance, yeah, the importance of quality of labor that would potentially propel economic growth. And I think U.S. has been really fortunate that we have, um, you know, the, the high school reform mm-hmm. um, back in the days that we did, as well as the proliferation of higher education institutions uh, in the United States actually help in that regard. Having said that, I, I think there are multiple uh, factors that affect the location choice of um, of international any international business, I came across this report prepared by uh, the Manufacturing Institute with the help of KPMG, uh, one of the big four uh, accounting firms uh, in the world, and uh, uh, you know they they kind of try to summarize the cost of doing businesses uh, worldwide, and they try to develop an index to give indication as to you know what countries are upcoming. You know uh, if you are international business what countries should you be considering um, to move your operations to? And there are some, you know, 
companies, uh, countries in the on the list that that should surprise people, right? Mm. Uh, so so we talked about the primary cost, right? So the primary right. cost of biz- business involves, uh, like I said, the the compensation, wage rate, and real estate cost, tax rate, and all that. But there are this report actually summarizes uh, some of the important secondary cost of doing business, which I think uh, should be of everybody's interest. So in, in analyzing the secondary cost of uh, uh, doing business worldwide, they established several subcategories mm-hmm. um, to put re- really different costs in different buckets, right? Okay. So qual- quality of labor is definitely one. Right. Um, second one would be how easy it is to do business, the ease of doing business. What is the legislature requirement to start Got a company? It. Is, it, there, is there a lot of burn uh, to register property or uh, to, um, you know, uh, to really go through the paperwork to have a business uh, structure form in that particular country? Does that and take the, into account like tax uh, burden, everything like that, or is that considered a separate category? That's a separate category. So the okay. corporate tax rate is the primary cost. Okay. Right. So the burden of government regulations uh, is the secondary cost that relates back to the ease of doing business. And there's okay. also infrastructure, mm-hmm. whether or not the countries have good enough infrastructure for, you know, logistics management, for, um, you know, uh, airport connectivity, mm-hmm. uh, for example, electric uh, electricity, uh, utility, reliability of water supply, access to internet, and all that. Got it. And final, finally, the the fourth bucket of costs, mm-hmm. secondary costs, would be the risk and protection. How high the political risk is. Got it. How how difficult is it for any companies to enforce contracts? Uh, uh, do you have a way to protect uh, you know minority investors? Uh, mm. Is corruption serious in that particular economy? Got it. So all these are directly related to uh, how you could operate uh, your business smooth. I still want to maintain our focus on China because China is being discussed mm. on a daily basis now, right? Because right. in the, in the, like I said, in the pre- past 30 years, China definitely was able to write on the momentum of the rise of international trade. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. China has proven itself to be a very important player in the international supply chain. Here's the problem. China doesn't necessarily abide by the international rules. Right. China joined the WTO in 2001, but Mm -hmm. the WTO regulations specifically require uh, any countries that that are part of it to be opening up its economy to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And by opening up, you have to welcome competition. Uh, okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. For for starter, you can't access Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. in China, and yet you would have a Chinese version of Facebook, Google, or Twitter on the ground right. in China. And and China argues that you know they're doing this because uh, they have their own you know political concerns. Mm-hmm. And uh, the international trade rules should not, uh, uh, you know, supersede uh, the rules of the sovereignty. Right. Um, but in doing international trade, 
you know, that is a fine line to walk on, right? I mean, how do you, mm -hmm. how do you consider your economy is open, um, but you're not, you know, following the rules that everybody else follows? Uh, so right. by itself, there is, there is a risk, um, and, and let alone there is a political risk uh, imposed by the Communist Party, because um, mm. majority of the big businesses ha have influence from, uh, from the state, which yes. is drastically different uh, from the way that we operate our businesses here in the United States. And, and meanwhile, you look at the neighboring um, um, countries like Vietnam and Indonesia, they now welcome international businesses with open arms. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, this relates back to uh, what the report uh, that I was referring to talked right. about. Um, you know, how do you see the opportunities in international business? These reports provide ranking um, in terms of cost of doing business mm -hmm. uh, by countries. And the number, number one country is Canada. And oh. depending upon your political belief, uh, most people would say that Taiwan is an uh, indep independent sovereignty. Taiwan is actually number two. Okay. South Korea, number three. Malaysia, number four. And now United States is actually number five. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was dumbfounded to, to read the report, but then I realized, oh, like we said in the beginning, I mean, the quality of labor in the United States is something yeah. that, that other countries cannot, uh, you know, um, easily replace. Um, and let alone, we have a very easy access to the consumer mm. market, to the largest consumer market here in the United States. We are the buyer right. um, in the world economy. Yeah, I like how that takes into account all of those different factors. Now, besides the United States, were there any other countries that absolutely shocked you when you were going through this report? Yeah, well, you know what? If you look at this country and look at all these countries, um, Malaysia, Malaysia is something that uh, some countries that I, I didn't think about, um, mm -hmm. but now it's it's within the top five. Mm. And if you look at the top 10, um, you know, only three countries are in Asia. Uh, so Taiwan, South Korea and Malaysia. Mm -hmm. um, and the other, the others are UK, uh, okay. uh, Germany, Switzerland, Ireland, and France. Oh wow! All right. Yeah. Now uh, you look at Vietnam. That's number fifteen. India, number sixteen. Japan, number thirteen. So okay. all these countries, they have, uh, you know, and again, we are taking a look uh, of the uh, kind of like the cost of doing business from the comprehensive perspective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you further break it down in terms of just the primary cost, so the primary mm -hmm. cost, like I said, is the labor cost, the real estate cost, and such, right? Yeah. If you just yeah. look at the primary cost, Malaysia is now number one. Again, cheaper mm -hmm. labor. China is, uh, is uh, uh, also uh, in the top of the chart. Right. Mexico and Vietnam, right? So there are, again, obviously, you can't beat them in labor cost. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what you want to build, right? So you want to yeah. leverage the international supply chain according to the services and the products that you're providing. Right. That makes sense based on the complexity of what you're doing and, and, and what the, the value proposition would be for your product. Right. And I wanted to remind everybody that much like the individual customers or individual businesses, individual countries are also competing against one another. Because mm -hmm. from the tax revenue perspective, if you have more businesses that are willing to uh, uh, have business activities in your territories, it's easier for you to collect test revenue. 
Mm, so that, right. that's also very, very important. So in an international business environment, there are many factors that affect uh, the competitive landscape between individual businesses and individual countries. Right? Mm. So for example, if you're running a multinational enterprise, how do you allocate profits to different jurisdictions and different sovereignty? Because you, know, you look at the effective corporate tax rate around the globe, every country has a different statutory uh, uh, corporate tax rate as well as effective corporate tax rate based mm -hmm. on you know, the tax liability that you have. So how do you then achieve um, internally the tax efficiency by lowering the tax liability? Right. Becomes, becomes important. So it goes beyond the primary cost of your business activities, right? Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you need to pay taxes to different jurisdictions. And if you um, have business activities in the United States, you would have to respond to the request of, of the Internal Revenue Services, which is the U.S. tax authority. And mm -hmm. at the same time, uh, if, you are, if you have already established uh, international supply chain that has activities uh, outside of the United States, but also activities inside of the United States, most likely you would have to respond to requests. You, have, you would have to file tax returns in multiple tax jurisdictions. Mm, right. There's the compliance cost, and there's also a tax efficiency that you should be looking for. So now, if you know, say I'm I'm a business here in the United States, I only operate in this country, and I don't have any plans of expanding internationally, um, you know, any anytime soon. From everything that you're saying, what are the what are the key takeaways? What should I be listening to from the analysis that you just provided? I really don't think that any business would have the luxury of not. Um, trying to understand uh, what's going on in the international economy. Mm. Um, because I think every business now is part of the international supply chain. You know, right. Unless you're telling me that you are strictly providing services in the local area. Now, if you're selling tangible products, chances are that you're utilizing or part of the international supply chain. You just don't know it, right? right. So by paying attention to you know, what's going on in the supply chain, um, you, you are expanding the horizon of identifying potential opportunities that could either reduce the operating cost of your own or expanding the business opportunities uh, outside of the area that you currently have operations in. So I think that's the key takeaway. Um, and, right. and people generally do not understand that. I have come across something on Shark Tank and there's a business owner or an innovator mm -hmm. that had created some, um, you know, uh, container that they could put on the pickup truck. Um, okay. And the, the, the container of the pickup on the pickup truck, uh, he, he decides to uh, manufacture them locally. And the question that he got was uh, from the sharks, from the mm -hmm. investors, was whether or not he could um, produce it overseas. And it turns out the business owner did not have the incentive or motivation to uh, produce it overseas because he simply did not trust, uh, according to his words, the quality the manufacturers overseas. Mm -hmm. I think that by itself is a, a, a really blind statement, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are so many people around the world, so many businesses around the world that could potentially do businesses um, or in more efficient way than you do. And if your job is to um, or your focus is to bring down the manufacturing cost. There are ways to do that. And how do we then leverage our knowledge with uh, in international uh, supply chain, as well as my, our understandings of how various countries 
um, you know, conduct business or dairy business environment. It actually gonna it's actually gonna open doors. So as more and more uh, American businesses are eyeing on the opportunities presented by the political conflict between U.S. and China. They are looking at locations outside of uh, China, for example, in Malaysia, Indonesia, and Vietnam. How would that reshape the U.S. economy and how would that reshape the customer experiences here in the United States are something that should be of our interest. And I think all businesses should identify opportunities and advantages of perhaps utilizing the, um, co- the competitiveness presented uh, to us uh, from the international market and see how that could potentially enhance your business. Uh, I think that would be the key, key takeaway. So thank you very much for listening to our podcast. I hope that uh, our observations on international business and international economy could provide you with some insight Um, Again, there are uh, a lot of uh, reports and uh, research done in this area, and I urge everybody to uh, try to stay current and up to date uh, in terms of the potential business opportunities presented by the changing international economy. Well, stay tuned for more updates in the future. Thank you very much for tuning in. Bye, everyone. (music) 